So, we are in the Gospel according to Mark. And I promise you there will be no loud change noise this week. Which was really loud. And tell people to listen to the podcast. Wow, that's really loud. What did you do? I found out PD's So, if you would turn uh, in the Tapestry Bible, I believe it's page 720, and the scripture's going to appear behind me through the magic of Will I Am, who is operating the PowerPoint. And it also is on the piece of paper that is probably underneath your rear, if you didn't notice it. So, uh, turn to that. We're going to read from the 14th chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. And William, if you will operate that while I'm Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. Why is your scripture when the page doesn't move? Uh, we're only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. They were future harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will have you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for, to prepare for my, my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory. Now, guys, we have, it's not really a problem. There are several events in Jesus' life that happen multiple times. And some that may have happened multiple times that we don't know for sure. Such as, one of my personal favorite moments in Jesus' life is when he cleanses the temple, as, as what it's referred to as. Uh, but I would probably describe it more as he clears the temple out. That may have happened only once. It probably happened twice. It probably happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and then it happened again at the end of Jesus' This is a story just like that. This probably only happened when I said just like Imagine what I just said and reverse it. This is a story that is like it, but in the opposite way. This probably only happened once, but it may have happened twice. And the reason I say it may have happened twice is because um, it's told a couple of different ways. And in one or in two of the, the, the tellings of this, it is not very specific at all about the woman. At all. And then in one telling, it says, oh, and by the way, this was Mary. So, the, the thing is, is quite often we like to just go, oh, it's only one case. But we don't know that. What's happening here is something that could have happened multiple times. There are times where people could have been so enamored by what Jesus did that they responded in these extravagant ways. And Jesus may have said the same phrase several times. We, we tend to think that Jesus only said things one time, but 
Think of how often you say the exact same phrase over and over and over. Matter of fact, just real quick, somebody tell me a phrase that your dad or your mother says all the time. Brush your teeth. Stop. I heard one over here. Get up what? Look at up in the room. Look at up in the Go ahead, Noah. This is your chance.
that probably went to around 300,000 people during Passover, but may have every now and then gone up, uh, upwards to a quarter, excuse me, three quarters of a million people. That's mass chaos. Uh, my family and I lived in a place called Carthage, Missouri, that had Marion Days. It was the largest gathering of big days in the nation. And this was a town of 11,000 people, and there would typically be 90,000 Vietnamese people who would descend upon our city. You either loved it because of the, the vibrancy and, and all this stuff, or you hated it because your town was just you know, in, engulfed with more people than it was designed for. Jerusalem was either a place that you like, this is so much fun because there's so much activity, or you're like, I just am ready for the week to go. And the Romans could not stand Because they understood Passover is the celebration of freedom, and the Romans were the ones who were keeping the Jews from freedom from them. How would you like to be the ruling authority seven when, when people were going to celebrate? By the way, uh, God freed us from these people back then, and one day he's going to free us from you. Riots were serious business because the Romans took care of riots in a very easy way. They smashed them. I like to think of the Romans as the Hulk of the ancient Near Eastern world, okay? They dealt with riots in one way, and that was they would come in and, as, and kill as many people as they possibly could. Whether you were guilty or not, they would go after you, because if I, if I kill you, there's a good chance that everything else will stop, whether you're guilty or not. So, people who were plotting to kill Jesus, people who wanted to arrest Jesus, decided to wait. And they would just wait and find a better time, which is again, kind of ironic because if you know the story, they end up doing it anyhow. But they decide they're going to be responsible in the midst of trying to kill somebody who's innocent. And, and so they like So let's get to the story. I like this, this thing called the Great New Testament, which I love. This is a photo of what, would have, what it would have looked like if Jesus had been made of Legos and they were acting out before him. But what we have here is a lady who walks into a dinner party that is meant to honor Jesus. If she was Mary, she was local. If she was someone else, we don't know who she was. But she is so enthralled with what Jesus has done for her that she takes a, a alabaster, it's called an alabaster, on, on, and it's a vial of perfume, and she breaks it to where it cannot be saved, and she pours it on Jesus. And it was poured on his head and probably went on his feet also. If it's the same occurrence, it went on his feet for sure. This is probably one. If you know the story of Mary at all, she had a brother and a sister, and you know she probably had more than that, but we know that she had a brother named Martha, and excuse me. <laughs> what a brief Johnny Cash moment there. <laughs> when she had a sister named Martha and a brother named Lazarus, who died. And Jesus hears of Lazarus' death, and he waits three days before he goes to see Lazarus. And Mary comes out to greet him with the following statement. It says, Then Mary took him, uh, what was he doing? That's different. That's what she did. This is why we think it's, uh, that's why I should look at my slides first. I'll come back to that later, okay? Oh, what she did. Um, but basically, this is why we think it's Mary. Because in John 12, it says this is Mary. This could have been two different circumstances, okay? Uh, we don't know, but I tend to think it's the same circumstance. Mary takes this, this perfume, this nard, and she breaks it. Here's an alabastron. This is what it would look like. Uh, those things, I know it's hard to tell from this photo because I don't have a size comparison. It would have been about that big. 
No, because I don't like that sign. <laughs> no, it's not that big, okay? And if you look at the engravings on it, it kind of makes sense because if they were bigger than that, there'd be more detail on the engravings. But they're about that big, that would hold about a pound. Okay? Is not as much as paint because it's about that big. And it, it's not like now where we can get a really thin wall to it. It's a decent amount of paint, but So don't think spritzing. Think, you know, if, if Natalie got mad at you and she took it on the thing of olive oil and just started pouring it down, that's <laughs> if it had yarn in it, it's not not roasting. Stop. <laughs> so, guys, this is what what it would look like. Here's what I want us to talk about for just a second, okay? And it's two responses. Because if you really look at this passage, what we have is we have an act that takes about one verse, and then we have two descriptions of different responses. We have the response, and I love the way it's, it's described here, the response of the song. If it says, you know, some people, I love the way that happens, because every now and then it's going to be like, well, some people didn't think that much of it. If I say, you know, some people didn't think that much of it, what do I mean? I mean me, and I just don't want to take the credit for it. Realistically, this was probably Judas, who was complaining about this. But instead of saying Judas, it says, some people... That way, you know, nobody else really gets blamed and it makes it sound like people tore it. But we know from John that Judas was definitely the one complaining because he was worried about money. There may have been a couple others, but it was definitely Judas. But there's another response that's recorded. That response is the response of Jesus. And very different from the response of Judas. Judas does what? It basically seems her act of devotion to this. I mean, he responds with, oh, what a waste. What a terrible waste. That money could have been given to the poor. Uh, I have an acquaintance who uh, is a, an activist, um, and, and he basically they got into this thing where they were trying to, uh, to open up Love Park uh, in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and they had taken Love Park and they said, by the way, you can no longer eat or sleep in Love Park, and they passed a city ordinance for that. Now, what type of person do you think would typically eat or sleep in a park? Homeless. So, instead of saying, by the way, we don't want homeless to be here, they used nice little politically correct language. They're like, no, we don't want people sleeping or eating. So, uh, my client's guy named Shane Clayton, um, he, he and some friends of his thought, well, what we're going to do instead is we're going to go as a church service, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper there, and we're going to take naps afterwards. And the Lord's Supper, if you, just in case you don't know this, involves eating. So they went to the park to do the Lord's Supper, and they were surrounded by police, and one of the captains said, you need to arrest them, they're eating now. And they're like, there's no way I, I'm arresting people who are doing the Lord's Supper right now. So then they thought, well, we, we didn't get arrested that way, let's order pizza. And so they ordered pizza in, and then they slept. And they did this for about a month. All the time, basically saying, we know what you're trying to do with this law. All you're trying to do is chase these homeless men and women away from a spot you don't want them. Um, solve the problem, not just get rid of them. And so eventually they get arrested, and the long story of that is, the judge uh, there goes, yeah, this is wrong. This was wrong, and I'm going to fine the city $10,000. And and they did not want the money. They were like, well, we didn't do this to get money. We did this to get the law corrected. And the judge said, well, I'll correct the law, but I'm going to fine the city $10,000 because I want them to know they can't do this. 
And when Claiborne got the money, they said, well, we didn't want this money. And they're like, oh, you can do this with it, you can do this with it. What they came up with instead was, we want to practice the year of Jubilee. Year of Jubilee is this wonderful thing in Scripture where debts are forgiven and there's a big celebration. And they decided they were going to go up to Wall Street and throw $10,000 into the air. There were plenty of people who said, no, no, no. This money could do this, this money could do this. And they were right. That money could have done that. That money could have done lots of different wonderful things. But the way they acted instead really glorified God. There are photos that you can find online of them taking this money and going, and they basically blow a thing called shofar, which is a big hollowed out one. And they blow it and they say it's the year of Jubilee and they throw $10,000 at the end of the year. <laughs> See, this woman did an act of extravagance for Jesus. This woman did a sacrifice that cost her greatly. And all the Jews could think of was, what a waste. What a waste. I mean, I'm sure in his mind, he thought he was you know, some nice person who's looking out for the poor. And he should have been looking out for the poor, because one of the things that God has called us to do is look out for the poor. And over the Passover, on the eve of the Passover, you're supposed to give to the poor to make sure the needs are taken care of. That's something that God wants us to do. But the reality of the matter is that he wasn't concerned with really giving the God's name. He wanted the money in the purse so that he could take it and use it Isn't it nice to know that we are unlike any of them at all? We would never use religious terminology for selfishness. We would never, ever, ever say that we were just doing this thing for Jesus when in fact all we were doing was using Jesus as an excuse to do exactly what we wanted. No, we would never do that. Never. So there was a different response. Her response was an act of worship. And, and guys, I think we so often think of worship like this, like hands in the air, right? But realistically, most acts of worship are acts of sacrifice. The singing we do in here is, it, it is declaring God's worth, but realistically, it's like declaring you know, something within the family. It's like when you come to, together as a family and you share inside jokes together, they help you unite, and that's a wonderful thing. But realistically, it doesn't let anybody else in the world really know how awesome your family is. To declare somebody's worth, you do it either to remind people of how worthy he is, or you do it so that others will know how worthy he is. And so often we think of our worship just as this. Oh, I feel so good. I feel so wonderful. But the reality of it is our worship should be that we are responding to him in such a way that people know exactly how And everybody in that room would have known how worthy he was. Because she didn't worship just by coming and saying, Jesus, you're awesome. Jesus, you're wonderful. Instead, she took something incredibly costly and she filled the room with the aroma it says that uh, she responded because of this. This is what I have stuff on earlier. See, if this was Mary, if this was a single event, her brother died. And she says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then what she finds out is when Jesus is there, her brother is no longer dead. No longer dead. 
And this happens just a little while before her act of devotion, before her act of sacrifice, before her act of declaring how worthy he is. And I cannot help but imagine that since it's so close that when Mary comes in that room, she's just thinking, how can I say how worthy he is? Oh, I have this. Now, to give you an idea of what this means, it would have been, well, Jesus describes it as what she could. She has done what she could. Which is a bit of, of an understatement. See, if that's what she could do, then we need to really enlarge our picture of what could means. Because her could would have equaled this, $17,400 in present day money. Over a year's wages. Now I want you to imagine going to somebody's dinner party and them coming in there and going, hey, by the way, I have a, a, a spotless 1965, actually let me change that, 1964 and a half, cherry red convertible Mustang, and I am about to crack it open and pour it on top of your head because you're that worthy. Now that sounds disgusting. <laughs> Do you understand the picture of this? This was an amazingly costly thing. It wasn't just costly because of the fact that what was in it was worth money. It was probably costly because it had probably been in her family for generations. And the reason I say that is that price would have been incredibly high for Nard. Nard is a lot like wine. If I buy wine and it's a good wine and I buy it and I keep it for 100 years, what happens to it? What? Yeah, hopefully it becomes really good wine, or it becomes vinegar, and you just don't let anybody know. But its cost goes up dramatically, because the theory is, the older it gets, the better it gets. And this cost is really high for Nard, so it was probably an heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. From mother to daughter, to daughter or to granddaughter. Almost as a security blanket of, hey, here is this. This is worth a lot of money. You are somewhat of a helpless victim in, in your marriage. It, hopefully you have a good husband. But the reality of the matter is, is that we have given him money so that you will marry him. It's called a dowry. And if you ever need it, here's this. It was probably a family error. I don't know that for a fact, but I know is the cost was high for for what it was. Not exorbitant, and you're not out of the range, but higher than it should have been. So it was probably something that had been passed down from generation to generation. And she responds by wasting all of Jesus. She responds to whatever he has done. If it was Mary, she responds to what he has done in her life. She responds to what he has done by healing her brother. If it was not Mary, and the Mary uh, situation is another story, this woman responds by what Jesus has done for her in her life. And the only way she can possibly express how worthy he is is to take something incredibly valuable and use it on him. And this is not perfume like what we would have. But, you know, Eric, you mentioned financial oil here. That's disgusting. With your perfume, because I'm sure you wear a lot of perfume, you know, you probably just spritz yourself just a little bit. This is a one time use only. There were no resealable containers for this. It was meant to be used once. And she uses it 
to declare power that he is. See, that's her response to him. I think we need to consider the same thing. But the scripture teaches us that, that he has done great things for us. Those of us here in the room who are believers in Jesus Christ, scripture says that he has saved us while we were yet sinners. He has saved us when we were not worthy of it. He has saved us when we could do nothing for him. And the real question is, is what could we do? See, so often we think of our could in a small, little bitty thing. But her could was not small at all. Her could was huge. We would describe that could as a sacrifice. She would have considered it probably not good enough. If you think around, uh, around you, people you know, there are people that are part of tapestry that, that are not here tonight, and some of you are here tonight, who can detail off wonderful things that you have done, these amazing acts that other people would consider sacrifices, and you would just say, no, he's worthy. He's worthy. It's not enough at all. I have a good friend, uh, Pam and I have a good friend, and, and she wanted to have kids desperately, and she could not biologically have kids. Uh, she and her husband decided they would foster kids. And fostering kids is not easy. These were not cute little babies. These were kids with real issues. And in the midst of it, she fell in love with them. They're now her children. And if you asked her uh, if there was a sacrifice in that, she might say, well, yeah, it was a little sacrifice, but that's what I could do. I love it. See, her good is huge. It's monstrously big. Because what God has done for her is monstrously big. Her sacrifice just points out his worthiness, and she doesn't even consider it a sacrifice. Frederick III of Prussia. Anytime I can say Prussia, that's a good night. Okay? <laughs> Frederick III of Prussia was fighting this, this little man named Napoleon. Some of you might have heard of him before. He fought a few battles out there. And he was heading towards Prussia. And Prussia had been involved in many, many wars. And he no longer had the finances to prep his country to fight this little bitty man who was going to come and decimate. So he asked all the women in the country if they would give him their jewelry with no hope of ever seeing you. Would you give me your jewelry and we will melt this down so that we can sell it and buy weapons? And the women flocked, flocked to give. And he, he wanted to give them some token. So from the highest to the lowest, he gave them these medals that said, <laughs> said, gold gathered each for I think, I don't, Heinz? Eisen. Eisen. I do not speak German. All I know is if I go enough, it sounds like German. Eisen. So, here's what it means. I gave gold for iron. And the thing is, that it was supposed to be the symbol of their sacrifice, it began to be their very vanity. That people would no longer wear jewelry because what displayed, you know, the beautiful display you want to have around your neck, were these iron pieces that said, I gave gold for iron. You've ever heard of the Iron Cross? 
That's what it came from. Germany's highest symbol of valor at one time, they don't use it anymore because of the association with another kind of little man, he had a little short mustache, is an evil guy. But uh, it became so impressive to women that they took it and used it for men. See, their sacrifice was the glory. Their sacrifice was there because they, they wanted to protect their country. They believed it was worthy of anything and they wouldn't have been considered a sacrifice. Instead, they desperately wanted these iron pieces now. See, I think sometimes we just think, oh, it's a big sacrifice. Rather than realizing what Jesus has really done for us. Now, Jesus says in this, this story, the poor you will have with you, excuse me, you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. This is not some snide way of Jesus saying, don't help the poor. There have been people who have used it and said, oh, you will always have the poor. Jesus is not making some statement like, you'll never be able to get rid of poverty, so don't even try. It's almost more like a challenge. It's like, you will always have the poor with you, so maybe you should get rid of it. Actually, he's probably quoting from the 15th chapter of Deuteronomy, where God says you'll always have the poor with you, so do acts of kindness and charity for them. The poor will be with you because you will be saved, so do things for them. My acquaintance, I would love to call him a friend, I just don't want to call him a friend, uh, but Shane Claiborne again says he thinks Jesus is actually saying this as a statement on the church. As in, if you are the church, one of the signs of that will be that the poor will always feel safe in your midst. So you should be doing things. Think of how we would react to this if we had the mindset of what he has done for us, calls for us to do what we can, what we could. She has done what she could. Think of what we would do if we went, oh, well, my could is this. Because I don't know about you, but a lady sacrificing probably an heirloom, sacrificing something worth $17,400. That's a big deal. And that challenges me to make me think that my could is way, way too small. Or you will have with you always. So we should declare God's worth by doing amazing things. So, for again, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? That was just a typographical error and it really should be done. In addition, the problem is it will be a typographical error What if we though started thinking about could? Because here's the difference. Jan, since Jesus is saying she did what she could, I think there's an implication that she did what she should. We say, like, oh, it's all I could do as an excuse. He said it like, well, of course she would do this. This is what she could do. We should do what we could do. Instead of us thinking, well, what we should do and what we will do are two entirely If you ever walked past somebody in need, if you ever driven past somebody in need, if you ever seen somebody in need and you knew you could have stopped, that just gets It's not safe. Somebody else will take care of you. Guys, I really think we should enlarge our community. 
Our could should, should hurt us. Our could should keep us from doing something. Our could should cost us. Because he is worthy. Because he should have done amazing things in your life if you have let down. And I say should have, I don't mean because he owes you that. What I mean is he wants to do incredible things in your life. I know he's done incredible things in my life. And to be completely honest, my response to those incredible things is never I could needs to grow selfish. I need to forgive more. I need to give more. I need to love more. I need to do more. Because I can. It doesn't mean that God wants you to give up everything. Quite often, I think we use that as an excuse to give up maximum. God wasn't looking for you to one day give when you're rich. He wasn't one day looking for you to give when you had all this talent. He wasn't looking for one day for you to give in big, big ways when you had these chances. He was looking for you to do what you could do. Because the reality of the matter is, if you're not doing it now, you probably won't do it later. So it works with tithing. Okay? If, if you're not giving when you have nothing, you probably won't give when you have a lot. It's the way it works with service. If you're not serving now and you don't have a lot of potential, you probably won't serve when you do have a lot of potential. There's a reason that, that politicians go in and take the amounts of serving, and that's because they haven't been serving before them to know what they want to do. And you see them all the time, every different candidate all over the place. I'll bet you money there are photos of the Democratic candidates and the Republican candidates posing to serve. Why? Because they're too big and important to do it now. They probably won't do anything. You start with what you could do, and then you could get to do So, Video is this. Jesus said that her act would be remembered through everywhere the gospel was preached. I kind of hope this was two different situations. And the reason I kind of hope it was two different situations is because it would be so spot on perfect if in one of those situations we don't even know the name of the woman who did it. Not because it would be like, oh, we don't really remember. It's because we remember what it was really all about. It wasn't about her. It was about her act. I think it was one situation. I really do. I think it was Mary. Uh, that, that what we heard of uh, pouring in the head versus pouring the feet are just different people describing different parts of the event. But I kind of hope it was two different events. Because the reality of the matter is, it was not about Mary being proclaimed as wonderful. That's not the point. What is remembered in the gospel is that she did something great because he had done something greater. She did something amazing, something we would consider sacrificial because she could do that because he had sacrificed all for her. See, that's the point of the gospel is we respond to him because of what he has done beforehand. He doesn't need our worship. We need to worship him. He doesn't need us to declare how worthy he is. We need to declare how worthy he is so that we remember how much he has sacrificed for us. So that's what I want you to remember tonight. Is 
that we should be doing great acts. Because of his greater sacrifice. That your could should increase exponentially because of what he has done for you. The hope that he has brought to your life. The love that he has brought to your life. The peace that he has brought to your life. The joy that he has brought to your life. The forgiveness that he has brought to your life should call for us to do what we could. It's probably much bigger than you and I think it is. So guys, let's pray to the one who is worthy of what we could do. If you need someone to pray with you, I'll be in the back. Pete will be in the back. Um, otherwise, let's sing to the one who is worthy. And hopefully, this week, grow our coulds. And thereby show other people that he's worth Really, Jesus, you are worthy. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. Help us to, to declare it. Help us to declare it right now so that we remember. But more importantly, help us to declare it this next week as we live our lives. <coughs> Increase what we could do. Just to see how it's not even a sacrifice, it's just what you do. I pray this in your name, Jesus, because you are worthy. Amen. Ladies and gents, please, let's stand and say.